And that's when I said, uh, screw it, I'm calling Charles Kama. <laughs> <laughs> and we're, I mean, because the thing was. Whew, what a week. Since the last time we dropped an episode, we've had a presidential debate for the books, an absolute mess in Cleveland that did little to illuminate the issues, but certainly did a lot to remind us of the differences in the candidates. And then we learned that the event, hosted in the much-celebrated Cleveland Clinic, was actually a super-spreader event that resulted in the president, his wife, and a bunch of other high-government officials and Trump campaign leaders testing positive for COVID-19. So, as though 2020 needed more craziness dumped on it, we now have a president in the hospital from the disease that he is being actively criticized for not taking seriously, a Supreme Court nominee dedicated to overturning the Affordable Care Act being jammed through the Senate, and of course, we have an election that closes in less than a month, with all of this taking place in a pandemic that continues to kill thousands of Americans each week. If you're hearing this on Monday, October 5th, today is your last day to register to vote in Ohio. If you're hearing this after October 6th, then you should be making sure that you have a plan to vote in place. This is Prognosis Ohio. I'm your host, Dan Skinner. Hey folks, so as you probably know if you've been listening for a while, we've been alternating a bit between topical episodes on important issues, as we typically do, in health and healthcare, and our episodes focused on specific candidates. As the opening clip makes clear, and as you'll know if you listen to those episodes, every time I invited the candidate on the show, I made sure to invite their opponent as well. And though we've featured a bunch of prominent Democrats, each of whom has particular expertise in or a passion for healthcare, none, and I mean none of their Republican challengers were willing to come on the show. Now, my political leaning certainly isn't any big secret, but I genuinely wanted to hear from those folks, to give them a chance to talk about the issues that are important to constituents and voters. I'm bummed that they declined, but it's telling. So now, we have no choice but to soldier on. This brings me to today's guest, Charles Geba. Those of you who follow healthcare issues on Twitter will know Charles. He's become a bit of a legend, beginning with his important work tracking ACA enrollments since the early years of the implementation of the Affordable Care Act. Since then, though, with healthcare, and especially with the ACA hanging in the balance, over the past few months, Charles has dedicated himself to raising money for candidates who, if elected, would play a critical role in passing new legislation if the Supreme Court ends up shooting down the ACA in the next term, but who could play an important role in a wide array of health policy issues over the next years as well. I checked in with Charles yesterday and he's now raised more than $3.5 million for a range of candidates. You can check out his operation at the links provided in the show notes or follow Charles on Twitter at Charles underscore Gaba. That's Charles underscore G-A-B-A. Before turning to my conversation with Charles, though, I'd like to share some exciting news. Listeners will know that we have our first live event planned, and it will take place on Facebook in just a few weeks, on Tuesday, October 20th from 7 to 8.30. That's Eastern Time. Our guests will include David Pepper, chairman of the Ohio Democratic Party, as well as Susan Tebbin of the Ohio Capital Journal, and Jacqueline Serpico, a JD candidate at the Moritz College of Law at OSU and an advocate for reproductive rights. I'll be talking with Jackie and Susan about the state of reproductive politics in Ohio. In addition, we'll be extending invitations to a wide range of candidates who might want to stop by and give us an update on their campaigns as we approach Election Day. To be in the loop on all of this, please like us on Facebook and reach out by email at prognosisohio at gmail.com if you'd like to find out how to join the event. Oh, and the first 20 visitors to log into the event will be getting a Prognosis Ohio t-shirt, so we'll be premiering them live at the event as well. And just one final note to listeners, this is a long episode, but there was just so much good stuff in what Charles had to say that we decided to leave most of it in. 
Okay, now to my conversation with Charles Gabe of ACASignups.net. Charles Gaba, thanks so much for taking some time to talk with us on Prognosis Ohio. Uh, thank you for having me. So, so I'm a follower of your work for a long time now, and um, you know what a long, strange trip it's been. Uh, you know, ACA signups and focusing on the Obamacare exchanges, and then this work you're now doing, um, really giving everything you have to the 2020 election, as many people are trying to do. But I really wanted to take some time to talk with you about the kind of arc of your work, but also to give our listeners a little bit of a snapshot of the kind of work you do. As founder of ACASignups.net, you've been live tracking Obamacare enrollment since the exchange launched in 2013. Mm-hmm. And I love this story. You're a web developer. You're not uh, you know, a wonky healthcare policy person by training, mm-hmm. but you've brought your analytic abilities to bear on this work. It's a great story of how somebody can bring the tools they have to do really great civically engaged work. I want to just ask you to kind of start by telling us a little bit about how, how that happened and what your origin story, so to speak, is. <laughs> sure. Um, well, ho- hopefully it's better than Wolverines, but <laughs> uh, no. Um, yeah, basically the short version is that I was a uh, you know freelance website developer for about uh, 12 or 13 years back in uh, fall of 2013, uh, and you know, I've, I've been politically active as well. So I've been, you know, I was I was watching closely the uh, you know the development of the ACA back in 2000, you know, 2009, 2010, and all the drama there. Um, but I didn't have, yeah, I didn't have any sort of healthcare or medical ba- background. I mean, I I was pre med for a couple of years in college, but you know, right, taught it, and, and my dad was a doctor, but you know. He passed away many years ago. So, what kind of doctor was he? Uh, he was a general practitioner, uh, osteopath. Had a small family practice. Oh, okay, um, you may know that I teach at an osteopathic school oh, no, uh, here, yeah. here in Ohio, so uh, we know that world well, and many of our listeners do as well. Oh, great, great, yeah. He, he uh, went to Wayne State and uh, University of uh, of uh, well in, in Des Moines. I know De- I know he's in Des Moines, Iowa, for a while. And uh, right, right, yeah. Wayne graduated from. Wayne State Medical School. Um, so, but yeah, I didn't really have any sort of a, you know, medical or healthcare or insurance background or, you know, and I'm also, I'm not an actuary, I'm not an accountant, any of that. But I just, you know, I'm just like data. I'm just basically just a data nerd. And back in uh, fall of 2013, when, you know, the exchanges launched to much acclaim and then immediate, you know, disaster when uh, they had all the technical problems, at the same time that you had a government shutdown over the ACA, uh, for those of us old enough to remember, right. and about a week or so in, you know, in early October, so the exchanges originally launched on October first, twenty thirteen, and crashed almost immediately at like twelve oh one a.m. Mm-hmm. Uh, or the, the the federal one did, um, but, but about a week into it, they were having lots of problems and there was lots of bad press, and I was like, as both a technical guy and you know from a political perspective i was like well it would be nice to know if after all of this fuss and you know and and, uh controversy and you know they lost the house of representatives over this and now they have these technical problems it'd be nice to know if anybody was signing up for the damn thing you know Mm -hmm. you know was it worth it and i assumed that you know the hhs department would be putting out like daily you know reports um or at least weekly and that the um you know, that the news media, 
they usually love this sort of thing. You know, you would think that they would be all over it with their little you know, tickers and counters and all that. And they really weren't doing that. The federal government was only putting, they officially, they were only putting out a monthly report, but that wasn't going to come out until like a month and a half in. And, you know, in the meantime, you know, society and politics works, you know, at a, at a minute by minute level. Right. <laughs> and um, given all the problems they're having, I was like, well, it'd be nice to know. And most of the major news media was not doing that. They were not trying to get this stat out. And there's, there were a few that were kind of sort of trying to, but, uh, you know, they were, they were confusing the num the traffic to the website as like, you know, they were saying you know, 3 million people visited the website. Well, that doesn't mean 3 million, 3 million people signed up. You know? right, right. Uh, in fact, that's the problem is that they couldn't sign up because 3 million people were signing up, you know, or were visiting and so on. So, and then there were, there's just, uh, whatever was being known was very sloppy. So I just decided just to do it myself and it was really just a hobby. It was just a, this nerdy hobby thing I was doing. So you never thought about like, you know, arts and crafts or anything. You you decided to go into this kind of work for your hobby. Right. Exactly. Exactly. I'm, I'm a website developer who, who who wanted to track Obamacare enrollment data as, as in my spare time. <laughs> what a dork I am. But um, originally, I just set up a simple, you know, Google Docs spreadsheet. And uh, originally, it was supposed to be a crowdsource thing that is, I had a small following on uh, over at Daily Kos, the uh, progressive um, political blog. Uh, there were a number of people who followed me for other, you know, when I, I would blog about other stuff, uh, non-healthcare related. And so I decided to assign, like I would ask people to pick a state, you know, if you lived in Nebraska, could you be my, my, my Nebraska tracker? If you lived in you know, Idaho, whatever. And the idea was there were going to be 50 people and they would just report it anytime they saw uh, the state insurance commissioner, you know, gave an interview or, you know, the, the CEO of Aetna or, you know, United Healthcare or whatever, you know, anytime they saw something in the news where there was some data that they would just send it into me and I would just plug it in. And that was it. That was all I was doing. Um, and it was supposed to be a six month thing because the original, for those, again, old enough to remember, the original uh, first year open enrollment period was actually a full six months long from right. October through the end of March. And it was, that was all it was supposed to be. It was just, okay, just plug in these numbers, track it. And, and the idea was to see if they could hit the magic 7 million number. Um, if you recall, uh, Kathleen Sebelius, who was the HHS secretary you know, at, at the time under mm -hmm. President Obama, she had given an interview shortly before the exchanges launched in the fall of 2013. And, uh, you know, she was hyping up the impending launch of the exchanges. And uh, she was asked, you know, what would success look like? And her response was this offhanded uh, su uh, seven, success would be 7 million people signing up by the end of March. And <laughs> you know where she got that number from? What's yes, that? I do. Yes, yeah. I do. And that's, that's the irony of this. Um, <laughs> yeah, she, she got that from a CBO report. Uh, yeah, from a CBO report from the previous spring where they were just trying to estimate how many people they thought might enroll, yeah. you know, um, they were just, you know, cause the CB, they have to have some idea of how much money's going to be needed for these subsidies, you know? And so they have to have some sort of a general prediction of how many people they think might be enrolled who might be receiving subsidies. So they have some idea of how to calculate how much, you know, that would impact the budget. That's all it was. You yeah. know, they didn't, they didn't say if 7 million people don't, you know, don't sign up, 
that the earth was going to swallow, you know, the country. Or, or, or what did they call it? I mean, the, the Republican discourse around this was like, was, it wasn't a sophisticated analysis of county level data on health insurance. It was train wreck and catastrophe. Yeah, and, right. Uh, so, um, you know, all these like really important uh, analytic words like train wreck. Right. <laughs> but that's all it was. And so she, but, but because she uttered the phrase seven, the number seven million, all of a sudden, all of a sudden the media you know, thing became, if we don't hit 7 million people signing up by, you know, by the end of March disaster, you know, that, that's right. If we come in six, one person shy and, you know, so that's all it was. And uh, I never intended this to be a long-term thing. I figured I'd just do this in my spare time and then say, okay, now I know. And then shut it down and go back to doing my, you know, my website stuff. And, uh, well, it's seven years later, and here I am talking to you about this. <laughs> right, 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 right. It's funny, as, as we you know, talk about the discourse around it that occurs to me, it just popped into my head. You know, I've never heard the word train wreck or disaster or catastrophe around COVID-19, but I did hear it around the ACA signups in 2013. And it, it, it to me, it seems like a, a, a disproportionate uh, application of crisis rhetoric uh, that we don't hear from, for example, the president's party right now. Well, yeah, I mean, the, the, basically, uh, the, the Democrats tried tried to give more people health care, and they didn't quite, and, and they didn't provide it to as many as they might have hoped, and that's a, a disaster. But <laughs> uh, you know, the, the Trump administration basically, you know, is semi responsible for the deaths of two hundred thousand Americans, and. They're giving, they, he just gave themselves an A plus this morning, I believe. <laughs> so, yeah. Talk so, about grading on a curve, I think that's called. <laughs> Something like that. So it's important to mention that your your work with ACA signups hasn't slowed down just because of the election. I mean, we you know, and before we get lost in the in the election in a minute, which I'm guessing mm-hmm. will happen, can we just take a second to, can you give us a snapshot of where we are now, uh, and keep, keeping in mind, you know, I, I'm here in Ohio. Most of our listeners are, are in Ohio. Mm-hmm. You know, what's your assessment of 2020? What the Obamacare ACA markets look like, and do you have any specific um, thoughts on what Ohio looks like? Sure. Um, the interesting thing. Uh, well, okay. There's there's one major elephant in the room right now, which of course is this uh, this lawsuit. You know the uh, the uh, used to be called te- Texas versus Azar or Texas versus U.S. Now I believe the official name is California versus Texas because they, they had to change it because of who the you know who the plaintiff the defendants are. Um, but it's the same lawsuit. Uh, I just call it the Texas Foldem case, uh, uh-huh. which is a, a, a phrase coined by Nicholas Bagley from the University of Michigan. Um, right, because we're, we're assuming that Texas will always be right in there in this kind of mix. <laughs> right. Well, the, you know, they're Ken Pax and their uh, yeah their attorney general is the one who. Brought the case. he's like the lead plaintiff, uh, you know, attorney general. Bagley uh, he called it that because uh, basically when the Justice Department folded, you know, they they were supposed to be defending against this lawsuit, and instead uh, they basically said said, "Oh, we agree. It is a terrible law. And it should be struck down." And now you have the you know, the, the Justice Department that's supposed to defend the law of the land is now siding with the plaintiffs. So. Right. And just to mention for listeners, so, you know, Ohio has not joined the case, but also we've had fairly weak 
um, you know, speaking out against the case and all the consequences that could come from it. So that's kind of the Ohio specific part of that. Sort of, sort of like Sweden, huh? Sort of, sort of neutral. Right. right. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's that's the big, you know, that's the big elephant in the room, literally. Um, and of course, you know, with the death of uh, Justice Ginsburg, of course, that's become even more dramatic and uh, ominous. But um, aside from that, aside from the fact that it might be, you know, that law might be dead at some point, aside from that, um, as it stands, interestingly, the ACA market seems to actually be fairly stable uh, this year and, and next year. And you wouldn't think that because of the coronavirus pandemic. Um, you know, last spring, when it first hit back in, you know, uh, like mid-March was really when it sort of went viral, if you want to call it that. <laughs> Mm-hmm. A bad term, I guess. Uh, you know, there was a lot of uh, of thinking that, oh my God, this is going to cause premiums to you know to dramatically skyrocket, and you know that healthcare expenses are going to be through the roof um, because of you know the uh, increase in test costs for testing and treatment and, and so forth. And that did happen to some extent, but what also has happened, or at least what seems to be happening, from what most of the insurance carriers are concluding so far, is that it's being canceled out for the most part uh, by reduction in other um, medical and you know, treatments and, and procedures and so forth. They're either being delayed or res- you know, rescheduled, delayed, or just um, you know, uh, elective surgeries and things like that. Right. These are the same things that uh, you know hospitals um, are talking about because they were not allowed to do all these you know pretty big money elective surgeries throughout the. Uh, the pandemic, and that really hurt the bottom line of a lot of hospitals, which is the CARES Act part of it and the kind of claims hospitals have been making. But this is sort of the flip side of that in a way. Right. And, and it's, I mean, you know, in some cases they're being canceled because, uh, you know, from, from one side, but in some cases they're being canceled simply because, for example, uh, I did not go to the dentist this past spring because I was supposed to have an appointment and, you know, the dental office was closed. So, you mm-hmm. know, you, you know, that sort of thing. So, um, the big question is, okay, what about 2021? You know, when you're setting your premiums for the coming year, what's going to happen next year? And again, I've, I've been going through with a fine tooth comb with the actuarial, you know, memos from all of the uh, insurance carriers. This is something I do every summer because, again, I'm I'm a glutton for punishment. Because yeah, you, you don't, you've <laughs> never heard of cheap, uh, you know, trashy novels on the right. Beach, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, there's a few. I mean, yes, there are a few carriers that. Like Oscar in particular, uh, you know, uh, Oscar insurance, they seem to be like assuming, okay, we're going to tack on another eight points, you know, nine points, whatever, to cover you know, what we expect to be this massive, you know, significant increase in expenses. But for the most part, uh, most of the carriers are either not mentioning COVID at all, or if they are, they're basically saying that it's sort of, well, we, we figure to go up three points because of this and down three points because of that. And so it'll end up being like a net you know, zero basically has no net impact or they don't think it'll have a net impact on next year's premium, you know, expenses at their end. Um, having said that, most of these are the preliminary filings and they, every single one of them <laughs> includes a little note saying, you know, we reserve the right to, you know, refile as, you know, we get no information because, you know, the prelim- most of this data is from like back in March through, you know, June, right? Mm-hmm. Um, when we didn't know nearly as much about the spread and you know, the, you know, and uh, the, the impact and so forth. So they're all giving themselves an out to, to refile just in case. Um, some of the states have come out with their official final 
uh, approved rate you know, changes. And so far, um, several of the states are, you know, basically they're, they're just, they're basically saying that if they were, that there's a basic saying that there won't be much impact at all. Like they, they, they seem to think there won't be. Of course, depending on how the Supreme Court case goes, and right now we are at an impasse with that, we won't know where we are um, for, for a little bit. But what are the stakes for a state like Ohio, as far as you can tell, um, based on your analysis of these these markets? Sure. So, yeah. So in, um, in Ohio specifically, um, again, the the preliminary uh, filings that they're, they're looking at, like maybe just a three... I, I have it down as a three-point increase. The Ohio Insurance Department says that the weighted average is actually a drop of, of about half a point. I'm not sure where that discrepancy comes in, but the point is that it's not, you know, they, again, they do not see it being a significant factor um, in terms of, of premiums. In terms of enrollment, again, that seems to be holding fairly steady. Um, there's always some attrition throughout the year in every state, including Ohio. But this year, there has been a, a bit of a boost to enrollment because of, um, you know, because of, of, of you know, so many people being, you know, losing their jobs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then when you lose your job, you have a 60-day, you know, uh, special enrollment period. Um, the, the federal exchange, which Ohio is, you know, a member of, um, does not have an, uh, an open special enrollment period where anyone can sign up. But it does have the standard sixty days, where if you lose your job, you, you know you lose your coverage through your job, you could enroll. Um, at the same time, because so many people have lost their jobs and lost their income, they have dropped below the one hundred and thirty-eight percent, you know, uh, federal poverty line, which means that they, thanks to the ACA, they are you know eligible for Medicaid. Right. Um, I don't have Ohio specific numbers on that. Um, I know my. Uh, my friend Andrew Sprung, who I think you know as well, mm-hmm. is ex post pactoid. Uh, he's been tracking that very closely. About you know, there, I know that here in Michigan, uh, in Michigan, Medicaid expansion enrollment has increased by like fifty percent since you know, March or since yeah. February because because of that. Um, we'll, we'll definitely be providing some links to to some of those data, right. and you know, it's something we've talked about with uh, a number of of guests recently on this show, including many candidates. Um, I mean, the stakes for Medicaid in Ohio are huge, as they are in Michigan, where you are. Yeah, and and in terms of the lawsuit, you know, the the worst case scenario, which of course is that the entire ACA is, you know, shot down um, without any you know viable replacement, uh, you know, ready to to replace it at that time. Um, so last year, the um, the Urban Institute did ran an analysis about a year and a half ago of how many people they expected at the time to lose coverage, you know, in each state, uh, as well as how much money each state would lose in federal funding if the ACA were struck down. Because, you know, remember most of that federal funding would be uh, either in the form of the 90% Medicaid expansion funding, mm-hmm. uh, and then also the subsidies, you know, for the people enrolled through the uh, exchange plans. Um, so they did that at the state level. Uh, I do occasional work with the Center for American Progress, uh, and I, I, I did an analysis with uh, Emily G um, uh, and Nicole Rasmusker at uh, CAP, where we uh, broke that out further into congressional districts. And you know, we got an estimate of how many people in each congressional district 
how many people would likely lose coverage, uh, as well as how much funding, you know, federal funding each one would lose. And then this year, this summer, um, CAP did a, an updated version of that analysis, which uh, broke it out uh, in the age of COVID. You know, they basically take it into account the you know, massive unemployment and, you know, and so forth. Uh, if you have more people, you know, enrolled in Medicaid through expansion, then obviously that's more people who would lose coverage if you lost Medicaid expansion due to the ACA being struck down. And for Ohio specifically, uh, it comes in at something somewhere around uh, 860,000 Ohioans. Yes. So 860,000 or thereabouts Ohioans stand to lose their health care coverage based on the outcome of this case. Uh, potentially, yeah. I mean, there would, be, they, there would be some pickup because of other factors, you know, right. as well. But, but yeah, that would be the net. The expectation uh, would be a net loss of, you know, 863,000. Uh, again, most of that probably, I think something like two thirds or three fourths of that would be Medicaid expansion. And the other, you know, the rest would be uh, um, those enrolled in subsidized uh, ACA policies. Right. And as I'm talking to you today, which is um, September 21st, I believe, um, Governor DeWine is meeting with Donald Trump here in the state of Ohio. So presumably uh, Governor DeWine's going to ask the president uh, about that. Maybe. <laughs> uh, Doubt it. Right. <laughs> so I want to just uh, turn to the the work you're doing within the 2020 election and kind of break it up into two pieces. The first is the federal piece. Um, now you have over 20 act blue pages where you're raising money for more than 250 Democrats running in federal office. Mm -hmm. um, you note that you're kind of staying away from some of what you call these marquee races, you know, after, especially after the announcement of justice Ginsburg's death, just oodles of money was raised. And, you know, people are focusing on people like Mark Kelly in Arizona or Sarah, Sarah Gideon in Maine or Amy McGrath, of course, in Kentucky because of the Mitch McConnell piece there. But you're being really, as you know, uh, somebody who does analysis like you do, you're being very intentional and very targeted. Um, I wanted to talk about the one, you know, the, the the piece here in Ohio. Of course, Ohio's congressional districts are gerrymandered to such an extent that it's extremely hard to move any of them. Mm -hmm. And we've talked about that on the show. You do call out the Kate Schroeder case. Uh, Kate Schroeder's writing against uh, Congressman Steve Shabbat um, in the the first district, and she has experience, you know, that's relevant to this show, right? Working with the Clinton Health Access Initiative on childhood illnesses. And she's also a member of, of the Cincinnati Board of Health. I wondered if you could just give us a general sense of how you think about Ohio on the federal level, how that piece is figuring into your broader picture. Sure. Well, I, I just, I, I do want to clarify one thing. I actually, um, the page that you're referring to, that you just referred to, that's actually a new one that I set up. That's the more focused one. Right. Uh, that's when I actually just added um, specifically because I have had some people because up, up until now, I've actually what I've been doing is at the for the for the federal level, for the Senate and the in the U.S. House. Um, I actually my Senate page actually includes 24 races, including those marquee ones that you mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. um, I, I just basically any every single Republican held Senate seat, even the ones that that you know, that, that are sort of the, the higher profile, but also the most low, like the ones that are considered next to a possible, like Wyoming right. know, or, or right. uh, uh, Oklahoma, that these very, very you know, red states, I have them all listed there. Um, and right. And to be clear, I mean, the reason why I'm mentioning that is because we're, you know, 40 something days out from the election. Right. You, right. you have to focus and figure out where 
you know, the, the energy needs, but also some races that may not have gotten the attention that they deserved. Right. Um, and that's exactly why I created this new page it's because as you said, now that we're into crunch time, now it's like, okay, yes, you want to help everyone, but now it's, you know, it is time to sort of, you know, zone, target it and zone in more. Um, and so that's why I wanted to sort of coalesce them into a smaller, you know, more focused group. Um, now, Ohio does not happen to have a Senate race uh, this year, but as you mentioned, obviously, every congressional seat is up. Um, I do have, uh, you know, for my my congressional pages, I, I actually have three pages. <laughs> I crammed every single Republican-held seat <laughs> on the three <laughs> pages. I got uh, 60 per page, like 180 races. And, you know, they're tiered, you know, I have the tier, you know, sort of the, the, the swing districts, the tougher ones, and then the, the no chance in hell ones. Um, but I list them all because, you know, they all deserve some recognition and some help. Right, right. Uh, and you never know. It's a crazy year, right? So, and also, you know, um, as we've talked about this show, you know, driving um, turnout, you know, has uh, effects um, down and up the ticket as well. Exactly, exactly. So, and in fact, I know I know. last week there was a, uh, an article about out of Florida where they were interviewing a bunch of uh, Florida Democratic um, House, you know, state House candidates. And there were several of them that are in, you know, base basically very red districts. And one of them just flat out said that she basically, she knows she's not going to win. She doesn't care. That's not why she's running. She's that basically she's running for state house in this deep red district in order to help Joe Biden win, you know, because if she, if she can boost, you know, her red district, you know, democratic turnout by you know five, 10% that could put, you know, him over the top statewide, you know, so. What about the state, though? So on the, you know, and people don't focus, in my view, on state races nearly enough and understand Mm -hmm. the incredible importance of them. Here in Ohio, from a Democratic perspective, there's this question of breaking supermajorities. There's very few people who really think that the Democrats can take the legislature Mm -hmm. that would uh, require something extraordinary that I can't even uh, fathom what that would be based on the numbers currently, but um, breaking a supermajority is an important thing, especially as we talk about redistricting and, and, and all of that. So um, we've had a number of candidates, um, incumbents and um, new challengers on this show, especially those who have really strong views um, and thoughts on, on health and healthcare issues. What's your take on some of those races and some of the races that you've been focusing on are the ones that we've uh, featured on this show as well? Yeah. So, um, you know, you mentioned, you mentioned that, you know, I have over 20 pages and, you know, uh, about a half dozen of those are for federal races or I got one for Senate and then about several of them for, for the house. The rest, most of them though are, as you mentioned, um, I have over a dozen, uh, each one is focused on, you know, state legislative races. And so mm-hmm. you know, one, one per state, I've got about a dozen states. Ohio is one of them. Uh, on each of those pages, I picked 24, uh, races and, the reason I went with 24 is because that's how many I could fit on the graphic <laughs> you know, <laughs> without it. Uh, for, for, for the house race, I, I crammed 60 and then it's too many, but it was too late because now people were donating and stuff. But for the house races or I mean, for the state races, yes, it's either 24 or 27, depending on the state. In Ohio, I have 24 races on my page. And again, it's it's a few of them are incumbents. I have uh, uh Philip Robinson, Jessica Miranda, Casey Weinstein, and Randy Seitz, mm-hmm. who are all, I guess, uh, a state house uh, reps. Um, most of them are house. There's, you know, they have a few Senate uh, uh, candidates as well. You know, state Senate. Um, mm-hmm. And basically, 
you know, again, the, the, this is not, I, I do not have, I'm not like the Cook Report or these, you know, Decision Desk or these other, you know, uh, a lot of election analysts where I pour over every single candidate's, you know, in or race in extensive detail. For the most part, I basically just looked at the 2018 or you know, 2016 or 2018 election results to see what the closest seats were. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, and, and then, you know, so basically I, I, I take a, uh, about a third, usually I try to make like a third incumbents, two thirds challengers, you know, a third Senate, two thirds house, and I just pick whatever the 24 that seemed to make the most sense. Um, the catch to that is that they have to have an act blue account, <laughs> which, right. which most democratic candidates do these days, but there's a few that don't. Uh, but if you don't, then I can't put you on, you know, I, I can't, I can't donate, I can't raise money for you because you're, you're not on the list. So yeah, that's an interesting decision to <laughs> do that in this day and age. I know I, I find myself, it's just so easy to click through <laughs> and right. next thing you know, you just gave money. <laughs> so. well, exactly. And that's, um, and so, yeah, so now, now the Ohio page specifically, uh, you know, there are some variances that I, I have had to eliminate a few uh, candidates here and there because for one, you know, for other reasons besides technical, like they don't have an act blue account. There have been a few cases where, you know, where I have heard something really, you know, well, okay, this person did you know, probably not the best person to support, but for the most part, I, I'm operating on the assumption that 99% of the candidates are, you know, uh, are, are probably decent people, you know, who want to do a good job. Um, right. And, and would certainly be, would certainly do a better job than, than whatever Republican they'd be replacing. So, um, well, also keep in mind, I mean, one of the things when I think about, you know, um, the different cycles that we've been through, um, you know, the Obama years and then, you know, the, the midterms, the Tea Party revolt, um, and then you come to the Trump years. Um, we just had a massive scandal in Ohio where the right. Speaker of the House had to resign. Uh, you would think that that would be a, a great year for Democrats to draw a contrast with, you know, um, lots of Republicans who got caught up in that. But I guess we're going to see just how powerful the drawing of the lines is. Yeah, well, that's, that's, well, that's, you know, one of the things, the big thing about the Trump, you know, the Trump era uh, is that <laughs> you can't. I'm a New Yorker, so I feel like the Trump era has been, <laughs> You're very, you know, way, way too long. But, but even just these four years feels uh, long enough. Like a lifetime, yeah. But, the, you know, but that's the problem is that, uh, is that there's so many scandals that come so quickly. You know, so many horror, you know, you, you can't catch your breath from the current horror before I mean, remember a week ago, what was the, you know, there was this big, massive, breaking, shocking, horrific story about, uh, you know, these, um, these women undocumented, you know, uh, who are in cages, uh, who are being forcibly sterilized and forcibly given hysterectomies. And, you know, this is horrible. This is horrifying. But then, you know, Ruth Bader Ginsburg died and all of a sudden that's the, you know, that's the big story. And, oh, and now today, you know, the CDC is, you know, is, uh, is, taking down their own information about COVID. The control over the FDA has been usurped as well. Right, exactly. Right, exactly. Alex Azar has yeah, taken, yeah, so, so yeah, so now Donald Trump gets to decide when, when a vaccine gets approved, you know, so it's right. like, so it's, it's, you know, you can't keep up with it. Um, so, yeah, so, oh, a little thing like the speaker, the, the House Speaker of Ohio being arrested for this massive, you know, well, that's that's nothing these days, you know. So yeah, yeah, it's 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 easy to get jaded in all this and to, <laughs> to not recognize the scale of what we are dealing with. Well, that's the thing; these are you know, there's there's a thousand scandals that that would have brought down in any any other administration, 
and yet here it's just Wednesday, you know. <laughs> so, mm -hmm, right. Um, but yeah, so for Ohio, in terms of fundraising, um, for Ohio state legislators, I've, I've uh, raised about, it looks like around $5,000 and obviously split 24 ways. That's not, you know, that's not a lot per candidate, but mm -hmm. a buck's a buck, right? And uh, Oh, especially for state races. I mean, you know, we're talking about buying signs and door hangers and uh, I mean, just the, the funding of a state campaign is, is different than a, a congressional campaign. It, exactly. But still, a little bit goes a long way, especially in the way that I'm seeing a lot of those candidates using their money in, in, in extremely smart ways. Right. And, and that's and that's the thing is that um, and, and, you know, and it's not necessarily an exact even split. You know, some people split it evenly and then there's some people who you know, they'll donate, you know, 200 bucks to this particular candidate, you know, and so on. Um, it's just, you know, it just makes it easier. It's just a one-stop shop. You know, you want to donate to an Ohio race, just go to this page and you can find, you know, uh, find the most, the most flippable ones there, you know? Um, and so I'm approaching it a little differently with, with the state races. There's no way that I could list every single one. Cause there's like something like 7,000, you know, yeah. <laughs> state legislative seats, uh, nationwide. But so like I said, I picked like the 24 that I seen the two dozen that seem to be the most logical, um, right. And New Hampshire alone has like a thousand. I think, yeah, right? yeah, New yeah, New Hampshire. Well, that's what's funny. Whenever you hear, remember, you heard for years, you you would hear the story about how, uh, usually from progressives, uh, from very very progressive people who would say, "Oh well, you know, uh, you know the Democrats lost a thousand seats under Obama." You know, <laughs> and well, yes, that's true, but like. 300 of them were in New Hampshire. You know? Right, right. Like, like, for, for listeners who may not get the joke, New Hampshire's legislature is extremely huge. Uh, you know, even during during COVID, they couldn't find a place to meet and be socially distanced. So I believe they met in some kind of an arena. Uh, I mean, it's it, the, the logic there is that it's kind of a stronghold of radical democracy or a throwback to that. But yeah, they, they, have, like, they have like one like one representative per like 3,000 residents or something. Right, right. So I do have one more question, but before we get to that, you know, and I'll be linking to your social media so people can learn more about your operation and, and, sure. and you and ACA signups. Um, but how much money have you, and I know this is a minute by minute thing, but a ballpark, I mean, how do we understand the scope of what you've been able to do so far in this effort? Uh, well, like, uh, oddly enough, this is a little bit, it's a little bit like the ACA signups website project. It originally started out, um, Right after the midterms, I decided, well, you know, midterms, we had a good midterm. We, we flipped, a, flipped the house, flipped a bunch of, you know, state seats here in Michigan. And I decided that I was going to raise some money online. So, you know, I have, I have a following on Twitter, a small following. I'm like, okay, well, I'll, I'll put together one of these, slap together a bunch of candidates onto one page and raise some money to flip the Senate in 2020. And uh, I originally was hoping to raise $250,000 total for the full two-year, mm -hmm. you know, the, the full two-year cycle. Um, I, any minute now, <laughs> probably within the next half hour, I will have raised 10 times that amount total. I'm coming up on $2.5 million raised. And this is across the board. This is, you know, across all these pages. Uh, so yeah, it's a, a nearly, nearly $2 million for Senate races, which is about eight times what I originally anticipated. 
and then another half a million for um, something like a quarter million, like 250,000 for house races, and then another 250,000 for the various uh, state legislative races. Um, for example, in Texas, Texas is where I'm doing the best at the state level, uh, $60,000 $60, to flip Texas house seats, um, 35,000 for here in Michigan, my, my home state, uh, to flip our house, state house, and so on. Like I said, for Ohio, it's around 5,000, you know, but it, it varies by state. So. so, yeah, I mean, what, you know, amazing what the interwebs can do and what a little thoughtfulness and analytic sophistication can do. And it sounds like you probably blew your own mind in terms of what this, uh, this idea with the humble goals of $250,000 has been able to pull off. Well, in particular, especially this past weekend, because, you know, um, I was up to around to close to 2 million, uh, last week, uh, shortly before the tragic news about, you know, justice, uh, Ginsburg. And from the moment that that news went public, which was, it was I think it was around 7.30 p.m. on Friday, give or take, mm -hmm. from that moment, it just, just I mean, just through the roof. And uh, yeah. I, ended, I ended up raising $250,000 in like the first 12 hours after her passing. Yeah. You know, yeah. and, and as, as, as horrible as it is to connect the two, it's, you know, I mean, it's... it's as crass as that may seem, the bottom line is she, you know, she, her, her last words were, uh, apparently to, you know, to her, her own granddaughter, her last dying words were basically for the love of God, do not let them replace me until there's a new, you know, until inauguration. Right. Day. So, you know, you yeah. can't pretend that the two don't <laughs> are connected to each other. Yeah. If anybody wants to try to claim that this is somehow disrespectful, I, I can tell them, uh, re read up on justice Ginsburg, her life, her advocacy, and you'll know that this is a great honor to her. Yeah, I mean, you know, when when I when my time when I die, if there's a way to use my death to raise money for, to to uh, uh, to 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 fight fascism, <laughs> go for it. You know. Well, I'm gonna. You know, first of all, I wish you a very long life, but I will keep that clip. Before we close, I just want to see if I can stir up just a little bit of trouble on a quick thing, which is, mm. so I'm a New Yorker originally, and I got to be honest with you, I don't give a damn about the Michigan versus Ohio thing at all. <laughs> uh, but, you know, Ohio has seemed to fade in many politicos' minds as a bona fide swing state, right? Um mm. And, you know, whether that's true or not, I mean, you know, Mayor Nan Whaley's out there saying we are a swing state, you know, <laughs> and Sherrod Brown, of course. I mean, like, you know, uh, and, and that's probably true depending on what happens. Mm. Um, Ohio does have more electoral votes than Michigan by two, at least for now until we redistrict soon. Mm. And that's probably going to decrease. But, you know, how, how do you uh, what's your what's your pitch for thinking about Michigan? As a card-carrying member of the so-called blue wall, right, <laughs> and Ohio, the state that we want to be a swing state. I mean, give Ohioans some love or give them some hope <laughs> that their state is really important in this. You know, there was uh, – I wish I had the link. Um, last 
sometime last week, it was, I think, I think this was from the, uh, the chair of the Ohio Democratic Party. I could be wrong. Yeah, David Pepper. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, David Pepper. Yeah, okay, yeah. He, he, he posted a thread about exactly that, about how basically, you know, every, oh, every, everybody's writing off Ohio and you know, blah, blah, blah. And he gave like a, you know, a hundred, he gave this long thread with all this wonky data about, you know, data points about how, you know, that's a crack and how we're still, comp- you know, how we, we, we can still come around and all that. And, you know, he was using things like, um, you know, okay, yes, you know, you're looking at the trend lines, you know, like, okay, yes, such and such race, you know, such and such candidate, they did lose, but they lost, you know, but, but, but they, you know, they went from, you know, 35% to 45%, you know, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. Like they were, you know, yes, they did come up short, but it was just, it was still a dramatic improvement in terms of turnout and in terms of percentage, you know, and that sort of thing. Um, and, uh, it's, it's a good thread. If you can find the link or if I can find the link, I'll, I'll you know, that started it, I'll send it. Yeah, we can link to that. Um, no problem. It's, you know, that's the thing is that what people have to keep in mind, you know, there's an old saying, uh, you know, what's the old saying about how success has many fathers, you know, failure is an orphan, mm-hmm. uh, which is a little bit unfair to the mother, I'd say, but, uh, or, you know, put another way, when you're right, when you're right, nobody remembers, when you're wrong, nobody forgets, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, people have to keep in mind that, you know, 2016, I mean, yes, Michigan, you know, Yes, of course, Hillary Clinton lost Michigan. She lost Michigan by like 10,000, 11,000 votes. That's like two per precinct, you know, mm-hmm. like, so uh, the tiniest little boost, if, if just a tiny little boost two per two per precinct, and she could have won Michigan and, and similar, you know, slightly larger, but similar margins in Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, right? If that had happened, if it had turned out just a little differently, you know, per- performed just a little bit better in each of those three states, then all of a sudden we we would have had President Hillary Clinton, and you know none of this, you know most the vast majority of this nightmare. Let's just say some, some terrible things would have happened, I'm sure, but ninety nine percent of this, you know, the last four years just wouldn't have happened. And, and yeah, um, and you know that doesn't mean that it would have been great. I mean, she probably still would have been facing you know a Republican Senate and and House, and uh, you know there probably would have been a lot of stalemates and stuff, but. You know, but it wouldn't have been this horror show that we're, we've been facing. So, you know, I don't know all the details about Ohio specifically, but the, the point is that that the story that that Hillary Clinton's campaign, that the the narrative about her campaign, would have been completely different if she had gotten you know eighty thousand odd more votes. You know, it wouldn't be she barely squeaked out a win. It would have been because she would have you know three million more votes and you know popular vote and. Uh, you know, what is it like 15 or 20 more, uh, you know, what, 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 what's the spread, you know, the, of the electoral votes, you know, like 30 or 40 votes. Uh, it would have been, it would have been seen as a very successful campaign, you know? Right. right. So, you know, it's all about how history is written and, and the spin you put on it. So, yeah, I mean, of course, Ohio can be brought around. I mean, when I, when I set up my, uh, one of the States that I included is, um, for West Virginia and that surprised people because, Hey, it's West Virginia. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I did it as a favor to a friend. Uh, there's a, a friend of mine from West Virginia who was really insistent. I'm like, okay, okay, I'll do one for West Virginia. And he hasn't raised a whole lot of money yet. But but when I did the research, when I was looking up to see, you know, okay, which candidates should I pick, I learned that West Virginia's almost their entire state uh, the state government was Democratic as recently as like a decade ago. Mm-hmm. Now it wasn't, you know, a West Virginia Democrat is not going to be the same, of course, as 
you know, a, a Vermont Democrat or Massachusetts. But um, so, but the point is that that was like, you know, like I said, like the, the uh, you know, the gov- I mean, hell, even the governor, their current governor was a Democrat who switched parties, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but the point is that, you know, Democrats, uh, maybe a different type of Democrat, but Democrats did have solid control uh, as recently as, you know, basically around the time that the ACA was passed. <laughs> and, um, and it turns out that this year that their state Senate is actually, uh, it could be flipped. It could be flipped. You know, the, the House is probably out of reach, but the Senate uh, might yeah. be flippable. So, so the point is that you never know. I mean, anytime you tell me, oh, you know, you can't, a senator, a Democrat can't win Senate in Wyoming or, you know, whatever, I tell you, looks who's in the White House, okay? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I mean, yes, <laughs> Russia. Yes, you know, hacking. Yes, all this other crap. But the bottom line is over 60 million people still voted for this lunatic, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I will say, you know, it's funny on this show, we talk about lots of health issues, public health issues. I've had a few Republicans on, but as it came to the election, I invited a bunch of Republicans to come on this show. And um, and again and again, they would not, you know, return my calls or whatever. So there was a certain point where, you know, I tried to do my outreach to have conversation about these issues across the aisle. Hmm. And that's when I said, uh, screw it. I'm calling Charles Kava. <laughs> <laughs> and we're, I mean, because at the end of the day, the thing, one of the things I love about the work you do is that you are not just a flame throwing liberal partisan. You study markets and you understand the stakes of, I mean, okay, you might be a flamethrowing, <laughs> but, but the point is that you care about the policy issues and that this particular issue of what's at stake, especially now with the Supreme court situation is about healthcare. And it's specifically about healthcare that people on the left have fought for. And there is no right wing healthcare vision that I can tell of any uh, sophistication or nuance or detail. So that's why I think it's perfectly fine to get behind all these candidates because they do, at the end of the day, give energy to something that's going to have extensive and, and real consequences for Americans' health. I'm just thankful that people like you uh, take the time and expend the effort to understand that winning elections matters to having the kind of policy we need. So um, look forward to following the work you're doing as we go through. And hopefully November 3rd, we can have good news uh, for healthcare and much beyond that. <laughs> and, um, you know, just thanks so much for taking some time to talk with us today. Uh, thank you for having me. It was great. Many thanks to Charles Gaba for joining me on the show. You can read more about Charles's work with ACA signups and also raising money for Democratic candidates with strong commitments to healthcare by checking out the show notes, which are posted on WCBE's webpage at wcbe.org. It's under the podcast experience tab. You can also find this information on our website at prognosisohio.com. And while you're there, please consider donating to Charles's efforts. You can follow the links to do that. Before closing, I just want to put in one more plug for the live event we're going to be holding on Facebook on October 20th. Please like Prognosis Ohio on Facebook to learn more about the event, which will be held on Facebook from 7 to 8.30 on the October 20th. And we're going to be featuring the chairman of the Ohio Democratic Party, David Pepper, as well as a host of great guests, including some fantastic experts on reproductive politics in Ohio and a bunch of candidates for federal and state office. We hope to see as many of you there as possible. Prognosis Ohio is hosted by Dan Skinner and produced by Dan Skinner and Mark France. Please take a minute to subscribe to the show, follow us on Twitter at at Prognosis Ohio, friend us on Facebook, and check out our new website at prognosisohio.com. 
As always, we encourage you to reach out via email or social media with your suggestions and your feedback. Thanks so much for listening and be well.